Welcome everybody to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, I'll be discussing the first two episodes of Better Call Saul, episode one called Wine and Roses, episode two called Carrot and Stick. Just a couple of reminders before we get going. First of all, this epi- these episodes, these Better Call Saul episodes will probably be posting on Tuesdays in the future. I'm actually on vacation on a road trip, so it's a little inconvenient to record. So this is a little late, but you will also be getting from me a Moon Knight episode later this week. And I'll be discussing that show as well as the premiere of The Batman on HBO Max. Just a reminder that there is a review, my review of The Batman in this feed, just maybe 10 episodes ago around there. And also interspersed in there, of course, the wrap-up of The Severance Season 1 series, which has been very popular. And if you haven't watched that show, excellent first season of a show, so do check it out. And we'll be wrapping up Moon Knight in just a couple more weeks, and we'll continue to be recapping Better Call Saul, Sona and I. Later in May, we'll be covering the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, the new Obi-Wan Kenobi show. And there's more Marvel content along the way. The new Doctor Strange film, just to name one, with Sam Raimi returning to directing. I'm very much looking forward to that. And so many shows that are wrapping up now that I'll be covering along the way. Plus a slew of new shows in May as well. Stranger Things, The Boys is coming, something I'll probably be covering week to week. And of course, the summer movie season. So much, much to be covered here in the upcoming months. Make sure you subscribe so you know when those episodes become available. So with that out of the way, let's get into the breakdown of this first episode of Better Call Saul, Wine and Roses. Good morning, Don Juan. Lalo Salamanca is dead. Gunman broke into his hacienda last night. Hired operators from the look of it. It was messy, very messy. As for the Salamancas. Sangre por sangre. Yes, that is the Salamanca way. We are on the verge of chaos. But who did this? One minute I hear talk of the Colombians, the next, traitors. Traitors close to home. We know this much. Ignacio Varga is a rat. Don Eladio has put a price on his head. Every man we have is searching for him. When Varga's found, we'll know who he was working for. I assume Don Hector has been told. I called him myself. As for if he understood me, quién sabe. Listen to me. You must be careful, Gustavo. This is a dangerous time. No one is above suspicion. I understand. Good. As you may have noticed, as fans of this series, each first episode we see a present state flash forward, I guess we would call it. Present day versus flashback, and I guess the whole series is a flashback. Not sure what the terminology would be. But we are in the future of the show itself. Post-Breaking Bad, Saul Goodman on the lam, and every single season we have this one black and white sequence that shows us what's happening in the current time frame. And these have all been in black and white. So interestingly, yet another cliffhanger we have is that Saul, in last year's opener, had been identified by somebody. This is the Cinnabon Saul that we've seen working in a mall incognito. And we find out what a difference he has versus his previous lifestyle in this episode. These these sequences have have normally been in black and white. This one we have just momentarily is in black and white before we go into full color, and understandably so, because it turns out that Saul, living high in a hog, as they say, and just some of the things we see here, we have people in overalls clearing out this room, this area, and they're basically cleaning out his digs, his mansion, as ostentatious as you can imagine. This is the caricature of like what they say Donald Trump, uh, his lifestyle is. For example, Donald Trump doesn't actually have a gold toilet, but (laughs) 
Jimmy McGill slash Saul Goodman does indeed have a golden toilet and golden tiled bathroom, I should say. He has a safe room we see here momentarily as they're clearing out his closet. He has murals painted. And we also see like bras and panties flying all like kind of laid out all over the place, indicating that there was quite the party before Saul made his, his getaway. And also making me wonder that I'm pretty sure Kim Wexler isn't around if that's the way he's living his life. And speaking of Kim Wexler, Vince Gilligan and his co-creator of the show, Better Call Saul, was giving an interview where they asked what happens to Kim Wexler. And I think this was last season when they were preparing this season. And he left the clue, which was follow the tequila cap. It's understandable if you don't know the significance of this, by the way, but it's obviously important to the showrunners. As I mentioned before, it's very important whether you're reading a book, watching a movie, or in this case, watching a television show to think about what are the filmmakers or the creators showing us first. And what they show us here is this bottle topper, which may seem vaguely familiar, and I'll let you know what it is if you haven't recently rewatched the show. There is a fictional tequila brand that's been circulating from through Better Call Saul, I should say, through Breaking Bad and now Better Call Saul, called Zafiro Ane Anejo, Anejo, I believe. And it's a fake tequila brand. And the reason they had to come up with a fake one was because they couldn't get anybody to put their name on the tequila that Gus uses to poison his enemies back in a very memorable episode of Breaking Bad. So they invented a fake one. And as an inside joke, they've been reusing it across the franchise as an indicator of wealth and a very, very expensive high-end tequila. And the first time we see it in, in Better Call Saul is in season two, where we see Kim and Jimmy conning an obnoxious character called Ken, pretending to be kind of rubes that have inherited some money and they're asking for his financial advice. And they get him to buy shot after shot after shot of this very expensive tequila. And they really enjoy stiffing him on the bill at the end. And there's a lot of symbolism on the show, but this is symbolic representation of Kim's duality, I believe. In this case, she has she puts on this persona, and it's a game they play that her and Jimmy slash Saul play. And for both of them, for Kim, the appeal is definitely to go after bad guys. But it also seems to be Jimmy's motif as well to think of himself as a Robin Hood, stealing from the rich and giving to himself most of the time, but hopefully doing a little bit of good at the same time, or at least that's what he likes to believe. And Kim really likes this version of him, whether it's true or not. And I believe she aspires to it in, her, in herself. It's the glue that keeps their relationship together. So it's very important that we see it here falling out of, out of the desk as it's being loaded onto the moving van at the end of this opening sequence, because it raises the question, why does Jimmy have it? Where is Kim if Jimmy has it? Because this bottle topper has floated throughout the show. There was a time when Jimmy thought he was gonna get the Sandpiper settlement and he bought some tequila to celebrate with Kim. And she actually was too busy with her straight job and nearly dies in a car accident. So in a way, once again, this is what Kim gets for trying to play things straight. Jimmy also at the time is pretty much playing things straight and he gets screwed out of the deal, out of the money as well. So that's another lesson learned and another time that the tequila comes in to represent something else. And as a matter of fact, when she decides to quit her job after things go terribly awry, she goes back to her office as she's cleaning out her office to get that bottle topper. So it's very symbolic of her relationship with Jimmy and also of this inner balance that she's trying to get between the criminal and the straight-laced overachiever that she's been when she's been trying to do things the straight and narrow way and the shortcuts that Jimmy's taken to achieve huge wealth, as we see here in this opening sequence. Like Vince Gilligan and Gould 
have drawn our attention to in these interviews, we should keep watching this bottle topper throughout the season and see what it foretells of the relationship between Jimmy and Kim. Okay, with just that opening sequence out of the way, we get into the plot. Nacho's on the run. We pick up basically the moment he lets the murder squad in, and we see like a very quick one-moment recap of the finale of last season. Nacho's on the run, running all night long. Note to anyone out there who's trying to use this as a blueprint for getting into the criminal world, work on your cardio. (laughs) You never know when that cardio is going to pay off. And Nacho's going to run a lot. (laughs) So work on your cardio. Word starts to trickle out about the massacre and people believe that Lalo is dead. Lalo is trying to reinforce this belief. And he goes to visit a guy. He calls him a mountain man. He's got covered in, in a very long beard. It's very interesting trying to read Tony Dalton's face here, the actor who plays Lalo. Because we don't see it on camera, but he's being very courteous to this wife and her husband. But it's pretty clear that he murders them. Murders them both because, of course, she's an innocent bystander but knows what's happening. And this guy, once he shaves that giant beard off, turns out to be a near spitting image of Lalo. Now, I don't know if this is a coincidence or if this is just somebody in his family that looks a lot like him. Or if this is actually like a body double. Like, for example, not only do is it kind of infamously know that some of these drug dealers have the body doubles to ride in a separate car or something to in case of assassination attempts. But we've also seen this with Saddam Hussein had his own body doubles and his sons as well. So whether this is something that is a coincidence or whether this is something that this is the guy's job to be his body double when he needs him to be, not made clear. (laughs) But what is made clear is that Lalo kills them. And the next time we see this body, it is terribly burned right by the oven back at his compound. And I'll have to figure out what Sona's read is on this if I'm missing something here. But basically, the body is placed back, burned terribly as a stand-in for Lalo's corpse. The first we see of Saul here in, the, in, in this time frame, in this flashback time frame, he seems to have been up all night, probably worried about the conversation he had with Kim about setting up Howard to accelerate the Sandpiper deal closure. She has a plan, and she really likes doing this pro bono work, which Sona brought up the fact that pro bono means you don't get paid. So how's she going to make money? And uh, we see a little flashback sequence, I mean, in the previously ons, where Jimmy says exactly that going, so pro bono means you don't get paid. <laughs> so where's this money coming from? And uh, maybe she thinks blackmailing Howard or accelerating the Sandpiper deal settlement or a combination of both will get them that big payday, which allows her to focus on a pro bono work, which she finds very, very satisfying. Back in Mexico, we see that the murder twins have arrived to scope out the police investigation. And they're the ones who find Lalo's burned body or pseudo Lalo's burned body. Don Juan calls Gus, Gus is waiting for the call and lays it all out. There was this massacre at the compound at Lalo's house, his private compound. A total affront. Obviously, he was the target of this massacre. And the Salamancas will be looking blood for blood. They'll be looking for revenge. And this can go very, very badly because the Salamancas do not know who set up this hit. They're saying it could be the Colombians. It could be an inside job. It could be somebody else trying to climb the corporate ladder. But everyone is looking for Nacho because Nacho would be the only one who would know. Gus, of course, is incredibly smart. So when they're saying that Lalo's dead and they got the report that the mercenaries mentioned that the target was achieved and yet they're now all dead, all of them accounted for. Nobody ran off with some money or something. They're all accounted for. He's like, that doesn't sound right to me. Why are they all dead? Who killed them? He thinks Lalo's alive. There's a lot of tension here between Mike and Gus. Mike thinks you have to stand by your word. It's like one of his key rules. 
even as a criminal, you got to be an honest criminal because if you don't have your word, no one can trust you. And meanwhile, he does not think that Gus is going to do the right thing as far as Nacho's concerned. And more importantly, Nacho's dad. And he says, he did the right thing for you. You got to do the right thing for him. And this is not going well. Jimmy goes to court. Kim's going to the court building herself to do some pro bono work. She has a client who's been railroaded with a crime. And while Jimmy's there, the prosecutors, or actually he confronts them, I guess. And they said that they've looked into Lala's backstory or this fictitious de Guzman persona that he has. And his family's not real. And he doesn't have an address that's real. And in doing their due diligence, raised a lot of flags when he actually showed up with that bail money. His whole backstory is unraveled, obviously. And they're saying, we're revoking the bond and we need him to come in right away. And Jimmy says, look, he has 7 million reasons to come back. And you think that doesn't count, but it does. You say my guy ran. I say he's got 7 million reasons for showing up when he's legally required to do so. So, no, I won't be... Uh, due process window dressing at any crash meeting with Parson. And if you try throwing any of this crap around in front of the judge without my presence, here's an accusation. Prosecutorial misconduct. Career-ending prosecutorial misconduct. None of that uh, changes the fact the guy's not who he said he was. No, 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 hold on. You guys got caught with your pants around your ankles and somehow that's on me? I don't think so. You've got two dozen lawyers up there. You got investigators, you got the whole damn police force, and it's my fault you can't keep track of Lalo? That is not my job! Lalo? Who's Lalo? What? What did I say? <clears throat> I meant to Guzman. <laughs> I have more than one client. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> I will see you at the preliminary in six weeks, as scheduled. Until then, I have clients who need me. And he's able to make his stand, although don't know how long this is going to stand stand up. And that could be a problem for Lalo because if he does have to come back over the border, he's going to be a wanted man. That night, Saul meets Kim at the El Camino Diner. That's very important. The El Camino, also symbolic here in the show. It means the road. And of course, we see in El Camino, the car. There's a movie called El Camino, a, a sequel, a, a movie on Netflix. Pretty good. Not great, but good with Aaron Paul. If you ever haven't tracked that down, definitely track it down. Still available on Netflix. And uh, Kim has just met with her client and Saul comes to have dinner with her. And this is an interesting interaction. We find out that Kim is really enjoying the pro bono work. She's very committed to the Howard scam. And very interestingly, she asks Saul, why is he driving that car? He needs to be Saul Goodman. I uh, rented us a car. So it's the Ford. So Saul Goodman drives a brown Ford Taurus. Detroit calls that taupe, I believe. Don't you think Saul Goodman would drive something with a little more flair? Such as? I don't know. Definitely American-made. Something showy. And Saul Goodman has an office. Something eye-catching. Good location. By the courthouse? Yeah. A cathedral of justice. Oh, a cathedral of justice. OK, yeah. We should start looking for something for you. I mean, for Saul. Sold? When do we start? Saturday's good. Saturday it is. So in a way, she is masterminding this Saul Goodman persona. You need to sell this criminal's criminal lawyer. When Kim mentions the Howard scam again, Jimmy asks her, you, you were serious about that? And she's like, uh, you weren't? And they kind of feel each other out, but they decide to keep going with it. And she says, you got to go slow. He can't see us coming. And also that we should start with Cliff Main. And we will see this plot start to take effect. 
Meanwhile, Nacho's still running. Once again, folks, work on your cardio. Something I definitely need to work on. He makes it to the hotel. He has been in touch, by the way, with Gustavo's other right-hand man. I forget this character's name. This imposing and inscrutable guy. We know nothing about this guy. <laughs> he has no backstory. He's just very loyal to Gustavo and very imposing. He sneaks in when no one's looking. And the woman who runs the hotel gives him a key inside the hotel room. He has cash, a gun, and a phone. We see Mike with his granddaughter. Daughter. I can't wait to talk to Sona about this one. She, she always has a problem with these kids grow too quickly. <laughs> Since the show's been off the air for two years, this girl's about a, twice as tall as she was before. <laughs> very hard to hide this. Nacho's trying to call Mike. Mike does not answer. And as we know, Mike is very uncomfortable with this whole situation. Kim and Saul slash Jimmy are watching Howard play golf the next morning. Jimmy goes to take a tour of the facilities. And whoops, Kevin is there, the Sandpiper CEO. And he does not want Saul there. This is a very funny sequence where Jimmy, as Saul Goodman, <laughs> throws a little anti-Semitism in here going like, oh, I see. You were very friendly when I showed in the door. And as soon as you found out my name was Saul Goodman, things get uglier and uglier from there. Kevin starts to confront him. It gets physical. And Saul makes a big scene. I guess I just have to start calling him Saul now because I think the transformation into Saul is pretty much complete at this point. And of course, all of this is a ruse. He says, oh, I need to go calm myself down. Can I just use your facilities? He gets into the locker room. Kim tries to reach out to him. Look, Howard is heading back in. You don't have enough time. Get out of there. But Saul's able to achieve his goal, which apparently is to put a small bag of baby powder in Howard's locker, obviously to look like drugs, cocaine, so that Cliff will see it. And it works. Cliff does happen to notice, what is that over there? And Howard's like, yeah, what is this? I, you think one of these members maybe put it in here? And Cliff's just like, it was in your locker. And just a little, just a little question mark as to how did that get in there? That's it. Just a little nudge. Next, we see an incredible shot of the desert, a drone shot, I assume. Lalo, of course, is live, alive and well, has been hitchhiking towards the U.S. border. Lalo gives his $2,000 in cash to one of the coyotes. And just as he's about to jump into the back of this truck that's going to smuggle them across the border, he decides to call his uncle. Lalo asks the coyotes how long it's going to take them to pack up and leave. And they say, we'll leave when we leave. And he says, okay, well, then I need to make a phone call. And they go, hey, we'll leave without you. And he says, be nice. He calls his uncle at the nursing home. And his uncle, who seems very sad to have heard that he had passed away, is now much happier to hear him alive. And he goes, and now I believe it was a chicken man. I know it. So I'm going to cross the border and I'm going to murder him. Of course, it's a terrible idea for him because he will probably be caught. And given the fact that he's already been arrested for another murder, it would probably be the end of him. So his uncle has something to say in a very tedious letter by letter way. He starts to spell out proof. He needs proof. And Lalo says, there is no proof. I just know it. And then he says, wait a second, there is proof. And he asks for his money back and says, I'm not crossing the border. I'm going back. I changed my mind. I'm not going. And? And you give me back my money. There's no refunds, asshole. I told you. Be nice. But they're not nice. So he kills them. And then he tells all the folks who were about to cross the border, sorry, you're going to have to find another way across the border. He gives all the cash to the old lady in the back of the truck and says, can you make sure everybody gets their fair share? 
And he takes the truck, one of the other trucks of the border crossers, and heads not over the border to the U.S., but back to Mexico. So where is this proof? Is it Nacho? I'm not sure what proof he's looking for. Because if he's looking for Nacho, the Salamanca is already on him. And that's the question we're left here as the episode ends. On to episode two, Carrot and Stick. I have a message from Nacho. He won't be coming back. He sends his regrets. So here's what's going to happen. You're going to take what's yours, and you're going to leave. But you, 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 you wanted to leave? Wait, that, that man, where is he going? He's helping you gather your things. <laughs> but, but we like it here. Well, now you're going to like it someplace else. You're going to take this, get on a bus, go to your families. Don't have a family, then you can go to a friend. You don't have friends, then make some. But I strongly suggest you do whatever you can to get back on your feet. But do it far away from here. This goes back in my pocket in five seconds. You won't like what happens next. I think we're all familiar with the idea that there are two ways to get someone to do what you want them to do. There's the carrot and there's a stick. And we see multiple times the carrot, which is, hey, here's a reward for doing the right thing or doing what I want you to do anyway in this specific circumstance. And then there's the stick, the thing you don't want. So you can take the carrot or you can take the stick. But either way, you're going to do what I want you to do. And we see it here at the beginning. We are at Nacho's apartment with his strung out, possibly mentally ill or possibly <laughs> one caused the other <laughs> girlfriends who are keeping themselves entertained while Nacho's missing. When Mike arrives, they of course freak out thinking something terrible is about to happen. And Mike basically says, Nacho doesn't want to see you anymore. He's not coming back. And now you have to leave. And here's some money. Take this money and go back to your family or go back to your friends or make some new friends. But you can't stay here. And if you stay here, you're not going to like what happens. Carrot and stick. They of course take the money and run. And here's another motif that we see many times in Breaking Bad and in this show also. Another very clever technique that you screenwriters and creatives out there sh that you should take into account. Creating a mystery that gets resolved in the episode to only reveal a bigger mystery. We see in meticulous detail that Mike goes, breaks into Nacho's safe, measures it out, has his man, his assistant, bring in exactly the same safe. They now open the safe, take out all his Nacho's money, and as other valuables here, those being a fake ID for himself and for his dad. Very importantly, Mike pockets the ID for his dad. And then they put in an identical safe. They put all the money back. They put the fake ID back exactly as it was. Plus, they put in a piece of paper, a bill that seems pretty mundane. And that's it. They lock it up and we're like, well, why did they do that? That mystery will be solved in this episode. But the larger mystery as to why they do this is not. So... Very clever. Meanwhile, back with Saul and Kim. Kim mentions the next step of the scam needs to be to get somebody to just bring up in passing to Cliff that maybe Howard has a drug problem. And it has to be a big enough deal that Cliff will hear them out. But Cliff can't actually take the client. So who could this be? Who could this be? And Jimmy says, wait a second. I think I have a perfect candidate. And here we go. We have the Kettleman's. We're coming full circle. Last season... Circling back to season one, 
The Kettlemans, who embezzled all that money that Saul could have taken them for $2 million, and maybe all of the horrible things that are to befall these people could have been prevented if he had just stolen the money from those other criminals. And maybe that is the takeaway of this whole show in the end. Criminals should only steal from other criminals, especially these hapless folks who really can't keep themselves from getting to trouble. Of course, he plays them perfectly. He says, you know, the last time I gave you some inside information, you screwed me over. But I have information right now that can exonerate you. This is very funny. This whole sequence, by the way, very, very funny. And I really miss these two characters, Betsy and Craig from season one at their tax preparation trailer. We see the inflatable Statue of Liberty, another iconic image from our Breaking Bad version of Saul. Craig immediately is like, hey, how you doing, Jimmy? (laughs) Even though he's done jail time because of Jimmy. Indirectly, of course. I mean, it's his own actions, and maybe he acknowledges that himself. Betsy, meanwhile, is the same. She doesn't trust him for a second, but he tantalizes them with the fact that you can be exonerated. We can actually get you exonerated. And of course, she still, or they both maybe, ever certain of their certainty, say, of course, that's why we ended up in jail. It's because the lawyer did a bad job. Not because they stole all that money. <laughs> of course not. Not that. And the second that he gives him this information, after supposedly having a bulletproof document that they cannot go behind his back, she goes, I can go see any lawyer I want to. I already know this trick. And goodbye. We're taking this to a real lawyer. Which, of course, is Saul's plan from the beginning. So Jimmy's plan works. The Kettlemans have gone to see Cliff Maine as the big hotshot lawyer in the area. He doesn't talk to them initially himself. They talk to like a junior partner. But they're like, no, we need to talk to the big man. We got big news here, which of course it works because he's like, I don't want to talk to them. Wait a second. It's about Howard. Hmm. Let me listen to this. And then again, they say, I think Howard was maybe high when he was representing us. And they say, do you have any evidence of this? And they say, oh, it'll all come out in discovery, which of course is something that Jimmy said, slipping Jimmy. But he thinks this doesn't really sound right. You don't really have evidence. You don't really have a case. And by the way, I can't really do any work because it'll be conflict of interest. We're already doing other work with them and you should go see other lawyers about it, but I don't think you're going to get anywhere with this. Just my honest opinion. And they leave in a huff and like, we are going to go talk to other lawyers. Betsy's still very confident about this at this moment. And they leave, but we see another, another little seed getting planted. Cliff is, hmm, what's happening? What is this thing about Howard again? Two times now. What did you learn? Lalo Salamanca lives Mike suggests that everyone is going to be looking for Nacho, and the best thing they could do is go find him and rescue them himself, themselves. And honestly, I don't know what's happening here, and it'll become further confused. Gus could have killed off Nacho. He's letting him live to some pur- for some purpose, and I'm not sure what that is yet. At this point, mystery number one of this Russian nesting doll, mystery of what's happening, Don Juan himself have arrived at Nacho's apartment. They cut open the safe, and they find the cash the fake ID, everything that we saw earlier in the episode, plus that envelope. Why was that envelope in there? It has a phone number scrawled across the bottom. And when they call that phone number, it's the phone number to the hotel, the hotel where Nacho's staying. So circling back to the beginning of the episode, one reading of this was that Mike did this on his own. Mike is letting Nacho get caught to get him out of the clutches of Gus, potentially, but that's not the case at all. Gus's right-hand man is there with him. So Gus is orchestrating this. He's allowing the cartel to capture Nacho? If Nacho talks, it points right back to him. So he wants that to happen? Or he thinks Nacho will keep his mouth shut? Maybe because they threaten his dad? Maybe? And if that's the case, they haven't communicated that to him. Not recently, anyway. So 
Very big mystery as to what Gus's grand scheme is. Whatever it is, we know it works because he survives and he's still tight with the cartel. So that right now is my biggest question mark on this whole show. At this point, things start to really accelerate in the episode. Nacho is pacing relentlessly in his room and he has been eyeing up since the very beginning, since the moment he got there, he's been eyeing up this little shack across the way and he sees the drip, drip, drip of an air conditioner. Someone is in that shack. Someone's watching him. And he does his Batman thing again. He kicks out the air conditioner from his hotel room, does a little parkour. <laughs> so get your cardio in, learn a little parkour if you plan to be the next, the next Nacho Varga. Circles around, he's got that gun, goes into the shack and he catches a guy. He's like, hey, I'm just here watching you. I don't know who's doing this. I don't know anything. Nacho, of course, smart. Everyone on this show, very smart, by the way, except for the Kettleman's probably. He calls Gus's henchman, says, I can't stay put anymore. I got to cross the border on my own. Of course, this is just to get him worked up because then the phone starts vibrating. The other phone, our watcher's phone. So now he knows who's watching him. So Gus has set this whole thing up, set up the hotel, has him watch the whole entire time, all with the plan of having him wait there until the cartel comes to get him. But why? Once again, so confused by this. What is the plan? They'll say, yeah, he showed up here days ago. He's been waiting for somebody. Who? Who's he waiting for? He can't say it's Gustavo. Can't, can't imagine that that's what Gustavo wants them to hear. So what is this plan? I have no idea. And the cartel does show up now that they have that phone number and they've traced it back here. And the murder twins are with them. So the Salamancas and the cartel are here. There's a big shootout. They need him alive. So one of the murder twins ends up killing one of the other cartel members to make sure that Nacho survives. But they capture him anyway. Now, two really fascinating things happen here at the end of the episode. One is that Nacho calls Mike and wants to talk to Gus. It's him. Oh, shit. I've been calling Varga for hours. He hasn't picked up once. He's been trying to get me since he left Salamancas. You want me to answer it? Now, we have to assume this is after he's been captured. So we have to assume that whoever has him knows that Gus did this. How does Gus survive <laughs> to make it to Breaking Bad? Big question mark here. The second really entertaining and fascinating thing that happens here at the end is that Jimmy goes to see the Kettlemans. The Kettlemans had figured out that Saul slash Jimmy played them, but Kim doesn't want to let him go by himself. He says, I'm going to use a carrot, not a stick. He's going to bring some cash to pay them off. She's like, nah, I'm going to come with you. When they arrive, they say, we know what you're doing. I don't know what you're trying to do to Howard, but I do know that you're trying to screw over Howard. They, of course, are not happy to see her because they actually blame her for what happened to them. But he says, that's okay. She's just a friend. And she just is checking out the place, walking around, getting a feel for it while they're threatening Jimmy, saying, I don't know what you want us to do. You can't just pay it off with a little bit of, a little bit of cash. And we are going to go to Howard with everything that's happening. Saul so goes, here's a little bit of money. Just let it go. They say, that's not going to work. Whatever you want you're trying to do with Howard, we're going to let him know, and I'm going to blow up your plan. Kim goes, okay, enough carrot. I know you don't want us going to Howard Hamlin, because whatever it is you're up to, I'm sure he would be very interested. Okay, let's just go easy on the threats. We want our lives back the way they were before. Before. We lost everything. And we didn't deserve any of this. Okay. Enough carrot. <clears throat> Internal Revenue Service, Albuquerque. Hi, could you put me through to Justin Stangle and Criminal Investigations? 
One moment, please. What are you doing? Excuse me. This is Justin. Justin, Kim Wexler, how are you? Hey, Kim, good to hear from you. How are Noreen and the boys? Listen, I was wondering who your CID officer is these days. You have something for us? Oh, I just might. Tax preparer fraud. A lot of it. I'm listening. Well, it's this uh, rundown little mom and pop outfit I've had my eye on for a while. <laughs> From what I can glean, their clients always end up with smaller refunds than they deserve. Please don't do this. Do the client sign over third party authorization? Bingo. So what I'm thinking is, these creeps file legit returns with you guys, give the clients fake ones that show about half the proper amount, and then pocket the difference. Classic scam. Well, I know just the guy to go after these dirt bags. I'll transfer you over. Such a big help, Justin. You got it. You don't have to do this. Don't I? Betsy, you'll probably get 24 months, maybe 18 with good behavior. But Craig, you are a two-time loser. They will definitely make an example out of you. Each false return they discover will be a separate felony. What are we talking? A hundred? Two hundred? CID Anthony or Apollo speaking. Saul has a look on his face like, wow, Kim is real cutthroat. And he's kind of seeing the full bloodlust in her now. I think she finally knows what she wants. And it's to be this pro do this pro bono work to make herself feel like she's doing the right thing. And she doesn't care who she has to take down. If she just doesn't think that they are good people, she will destroy them. And by the way, this is also, I think, who Jimmy sees himself as. So now we finally see at this moment what draws these two together. And as they leave, Jimmy's driving away and he goes, and I <laughs> excerpted this, by the way, last week, if you haven't caught up on it, we had a quick discussion, Sona and I, about Better Call Saul up until now. Not a full recap of the show, but just kind of thematically what interests us in the show. And I called out, even included some audio from the very late, the first flashback we see, or like the earliest flashback we see of Saul when he's a teenager, where he sees this guy stealing from his dad's convenience store. And he tells the kid, he tells a, a young Jimmy, there are sheep in this world and wolves. And you have to decide, kid, who you want to be. So here we are. Jimmy gets in the car with Kim and he says, sheep and wolves. And she says, huh? And he goes, well, never mind. But we know what it means. She is a wolf. They are sheep. And last mystery of the episode, they pull away and there's somebody following them. Who is following them? Is Gus keeping an eye on them? Is Lalo keeping an eye on them? He's still in Mexico, but is he curious? You know, he is very fascinated by what actually happened with that money transfer. And is this somehow tied in with what happened down in Mexico? So did he have somebody following them around? It remains to be seen. And that's where we leave things. Okay, so what did I think of all this? I thought this was incredible. We are right back in the thick of it. We hit the ground running. We have some great suspense, some great action here. And the stakes could not be higher, right? Like Howard's career is at stake. Jimmy and Kim's relationship could be in trouble, depending on what happens with this scam and how comfortable Saul slash Jimmy is with all this. Kim's soul is at stake. <laughs> is she going to give in to the dark side? Nacho's life is at stake. And so is Gustavo. And we know Gustavo survives. We know that Mike survives. But there's something really tantalizing to watch a show and think in any other circumstance, these people are definitely going to die, but we know they don't. So it's like, well, how did that happen? How does that happen, right? So fascinating to me anyway. Some people complain that, you know, because we know these people survive, it somehow takes away the stakes. And we don't know that all these people survive, by the way. Kim may not survive. Why does Jimmy have that bottle topper? Nacho probably doesn't survive. I can't imagine him surviving this. Lalo probably does survive because he's just a shark. 
But I do want to mention something about Lalo here. He seems to do the decent thing with the money and seems to have some concern for those people in the back of the truck that were about to cross into the U.S. I mean, he didn't have to murder them all. It's just more mess that he has to clean up if he does. But he does honestly seem to have concern for them. And he also, it's kind of hard to read Tony Dalton's face, the actor, when he's about to murder his lookalike. But he does seem to have some regret as he's asking them about the mundanities of their lives, knowing that they're going to be put to an end so soon. So I am curious. We've just only been seeing him as this one-dimensional monster, only as an antagonist. But maybe we'll get to know him a little bit better here. Great performances all around. Great style. The show looks great. Great little details. And yeah, what a great twofer. Very excited to see where it goes from here. We have five more episodes and then a break. Hopefully some kind of cliffhanger there to keep us on our toes for the next month. Takes about a month off and then comes back for the last six episodes, I believe it is. And those will run from July through August. So great stuff so far. Can't wait to see more. As far as us here at the show, stay tuned. Probably only a day from now, you're going to get your Moon Knight follow-up. A much better episode this week of Moon Knight. And you'll get my full review tomorrow. Until then, I'll talk to you soon.